I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 44, 45, 46, 47 of Insurgent. Yeah, that's right. It's the last episode where we'll be looking at the last four chapters of Insurgent. Let me know how you guys found this book. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Would you rather not cover the Allegiant sequel for a while? Do you want it up soon? I will say next week I'll be doing uh, the Insurgent movie rundown. And then after Insurgent, I'll be covering Maze Runner on the Patreon feed, which I think will be a hoot. So please stick around if you're interested and then let let me know what else you want to cover on the pod. I still want to go back to that last Fifty Shades book. I want to go back to the next 365 Days book. There's still a lot of shit books out there, but if I'm missing any that are on your radar that you would love to hear, please uh, let me know. If you're burning for Allegiant, let me know. But I will be having a break from Veronica Roth's world because I think I need it. Anyway, let's get into it. So where we left off, they broke into Erudite. Nando died. Rest in peace, Nando. Uh, Tris interrupted someone doing a poo in the bathroom and then let her walk out with the toilet paper on her shoe, which is just so rude. The height of rudeness. And then they made it up to Janine's lab because they assumed that's where the data is on her computer, on her private computer, not any public computer. And Edward with the eye patch, he was there to try and stop them because I guess the dauntless factionless army were like ahead of them trying to kill Janine. I don't know. Anyway, Triss and Marcus overpower Edward. Christina gets shot in the leg and then they push on into the lab. So she says the next room is more like a hallway. Okay. Her in a hallways. She's obsessed with hallways. She says it is wide, but not deep. Okay. With blue tile, blue walls, and a blue ceiling, all the same shade. Okay. Yeah. They're erudite. They love the color blue. And so she says, at first, I don't see any doors, but once my eyes adjust to the shock of color, the shock of color, it's a shock to see the color blue at the Erudite HQ. I don't know about that. She sees a rectangle in the wall to her left and another one in the wall to her right. Just two doors. Okay. So she saw doors. I love how she really broke that down for us. I don't see any doors at first, but then I end up seeing two doors. Okay. Rectangles in walls. They must be doors. All right. And so they split up. Marcus and Triss are like, which one do you want? And she says, I want the right door. No, wait, the left door. Like, why does it matter? Okay, but they're splitting up. They're going through a separate door each. And Marcus says, if you find the computer, you will find Janine. Coerce her into doing what you want. As in, that's how you'll find the files, by like torturing her to get to the files. And Triss is like, yep, makes sense. So they move forward alone. 
And she's like, what if I can't get through the security measures Janine undoubtedly has in place to keep out intruders? What if I can't find the file? Like, just go through the door and see. And then she puts her hand on the door handle and there's no lock. And she's like, "Uh oh, Tori said there were insane security measures. And so far there's been no locks, no passwords, no eye scanners. Why does that worry me? And it's like, well, obviously you're walking into a trap or something. Janine's not gonna not have a lock on her door. If not a physical lock, she'll have some sort of simulation lock. You watch, you watch. And so she walks into the next room and guess what? It's blue, it's blue. And once the door closes behind her, it deadlocks behind her and she can't open it again. And she's like, oh no, I'm trapped in this room. So there has been a lock, great. And so there's all this piercing light coming at her. And then she hears a voice, a calm feminine voice say, Beatrice Pryor, second generation, faction of origin, abnegation, selected faction, dauntless, confirmed divergent. And she's thinking, how does this room know who I am? Hey room, how do you know who I am room? And she thinks also, what does second generation mean? There's a little nugget of foreshadowing for us. And then the voice says, status intruder. And then these fixtures in the ceiling spray a tinted vapor. And so she's staring at a blue fog. So clearly she's being knocked up with some sort of serum that's now airborne. And then her eyes adjust and she's in the dauntless training room in the circle in which they used to spar. And across the room is a blue door that doesn't belong there. And she's like, what's going on here? And it's like, you're in a simulation, Tris. And then the voice says, intruder, you have five minutes to reach the blue door before the poison will kick in. Oh my God, the poison? What an insane security measure. I'm starting to think maybe she should have just had a locked door with a password and an eye scanner instead of going through all these lengths, Janine. And she even says, oh, the voice that's speaking sounds like Janine. And it's like, yeah, it's Janine. Why are we trying to inject mystery into things where there need not be mystery? And so she thinks, well, I better not just wait around letting the poison get me. I better walk through the door. And so as soon as she steps forward, someone else appears in her path. And she's short, thin, and blonde with dark circles under her eyes. And she goes, oh, that's me. (laughs) And she says, a reflection? I wave at her to see if she will mirror me. She doesn't. Remember, because Tris, she's not accustomed to mirrors. So I'm surprised she knows what a mirror is. I'm surprised she recognizes herself. And she thinks, wow, what is this test? What is this trap? If Janine designed it, it is probably a test of intelligence or logic, which means I will have to think clearly. which means I will have to calm down. And so she's trying to calm down. Just fight the bitch and walk through the blue door. It can't seem that hard. So she runs for the door and then Miratrice, even though she's not mirroring her movements, Miratrice, she grabs at a wounded shoulder and wrenches her to the side. Then Triss is on the ground and Miratrice is kicking herself in the stomach. And she goes, oh, I realize as I clutch my stomach that she's doing exactly what I would have done if I had been in her position, which means that in order to defeat her, I have to think of a way to defeat myself. And how can I be a better fighter than myself if she knows the same strategies I know and is exactly as resourceful and clever as I am? Which is meant to be like, look at how smart and clever Janine is by setting this trap. And it's like, well, no. Janine's set her up with someone who is at her level, like identically, they have the same skills the same knowledge, the same history, apparently. Why wouldn't she just put in like Rocky Balboa and say, you're in a boxing match against Rocky Balboa, knock him out and then you can go through the door. 
She could have put a dragon in there. It's a simulation. Imagination is creation. The world's your oyster. Put in a dragon. Instead, she puts in a mirror image of herself. As if she can't beat herself. The one person she can't beat is herself. You could put literally anything else into this made-up simulation. And you're putting Triss against Triss. Of course she's going to figure out how to get past it eventually. This is why you should stick with locks. And so they start fighting. And she says, I put my hands up between my stomach and her knee. And I push as hard as I can. She was not expecting that. Okay. All right. You're doing the unexpected. Oh, yeah. Okay. Brilliant. I run at her and as the desire to kick her slips into my mind, I realize that it is also her desire. So I twist away from her foot before she can kick me. The second I want something, she also wants it. She and I can only be at best at a standstill, but I need to beat her to get through the door. So they're in a battle. They're pretty much at loggerheads. And then she's like, "Uh oh, the poison, it's kicking in. And she's trying to think. She says the logical puzzle. In a fight between two perfect equals, how can one win? And the answer, one can't. So she's trying to brain tease her way out of it. And she thinks, so therefore, we must not be perfectly equal. So what is different about us? You're real, she's not. How about that, Tris? And she's trying to scramble. She's thinking, what's different about us? We have the same mass, skill level, patterns of thinking. But then she thinks we have different goals. I have to get through that door. She has to protect it. But even in a simulation, there is no way she is as desperate as I am. So she uses her desperateness to defeat her mirror self? What the fuck book am I reading? So she spins towards the edge of the circle where there's a table and she just realizes like, oh, I'm in a simulation. I'll just conjure up weaponry like I usually do in a simulation. And so she imagines a gun and all of a sudden there's a gun. But then that conjured a second gun for her mirror self. So she's grabbing for a gun as well. God, she can't win. She can't catch a break. But of course, once she picks up the gun, she's like, oh my God, it's a gun. What do I do? It's a gun. Because you remember, she's afraid of guns now. So she really should have visualized and conjured up a stunner or something else that's not a gun. But here we are. She conjured herself a gun, which she knows she can't use. Classic. And now she's having a PTSD attack alongside the poison and the simulation. And she's seeing Will instead of herself. And she's got to tell herself that it's not Will. She says, he is just a hallucination within a simulation. Wow, God, break that one down. A hallucination within a simulation. Wow. And then for a moment, she sees her double again, and she's also having a PTSD attack because they have the same weaknesses. So she's also shaking, holding the gun. What a ridiculous little booby trap. Ridiculous. It's like how the Harry Potter teachers thought, hey, let's all set our own little individualized booby traps to protect the Philosopher's Stone. Even though these booby traps could be defeated by children. And McGonagall was like, oh, I'm one of the most brilliant minds. I'll just set up a big chessboard. And it's like, people can win chess. You could have maybe not put something more challenging than like a 50-50 type of game. And so she's in this standstill between staring at herself slash her will hallucination. And they're both just pointing guns at each other, just like afraid to use the gun. And then she's like, I've got to do it. I'm more desperate than my mirror self so I can do it. And she says, visualizing Will again. Poor Will. Even in death, he can't catch a break. She shoots him again and she says, I'm sorry. And she fires the gun. And that's the end of the chapter. So we go to chapter 45 
and she says, I don't see him die again. So she closes her eyes once she presses the trigger. And when she opens them, it's the other Triss dead on the floor. So she throws her body against the door. She says, I press the door close behind me and shake them to regain feeling because her hands are numb. I don't know if there really was poison or was the antidote on the doorknob perhaps? Because now she's fine. Apparently the five minute timer for the poison is just disregarded and it never comes up again. So, okay, she's fine. I'm going to say the antidote was on the doorknob. Let's just say that. And guess what? The next room is just as big and also blue. Oh. And so as her vision begins to clear, she recognizes photos on the wall. There's Tobias's, her photo, Marcus's, Uriah's, and a long list of what appears to be chemicals is posted on the wall beside their pictures. And each one is crossed out with red marker. And she thinks, oh, this must be where Janine develops the simulation serums. Notice how Marcus's photo is up there along with Uriah. I think Marcus is divergent. I think that's been hinted at quite clearly. And also because everyone's divergent in these books. So of course Marcus would be too. And then she hears voices ahead of her and she's like, oh, Tris, what are you doing staring at photos? Let's get, gets to stepping. And she scolds herself. She says, what are you doing? Hurry. And so then she hears Tori saying to Janine, my brother's name, I want to hear you say it. And she thinks, how did Tori get through that simulation? Is she divergent too? Probably, Tris. Probably. And Janine's like, I didn't kill your brother. She says, the reasons for my actions are beyond your understanding. I was willing to make a sacrifice for the greater good, something you have never understood, not even when we were classmates. So Tori and Janine have a history. They all have a history. They all were somehow in the same year at school. So she gets through to another door or something and she's in another room and she sees Janine pressed against a wall with Tori standing a few feet away with her gun at her. And behind them is a table with a silver box on it. And that silver box is a computer. (laughs) Just say computer. You don't have to say silver box. And Triss is thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I have no confidence that I'll be able to find the video file on my own. Oh, so it's a video file now, we know that? So it's a video file on Janine's computer. And she's like, if Janine is here, I can get her to find it for me. But if she's dead, mm, not so much. So Triss is like, Tori, don't. But Tori's already about to shoot. So she lunges herself at Tori, knocks her over, the gun goes off and hits somewhere else. And then Tori punches Triss in the throat and she's trying to crawl towards the gun that just went flying. And Janine is slumped against the wall with blood soaking her leg. (laughs) Ah, bullets are always hitting legs, aren't they? And then she thinks, ah, leg. Tori also got shot in the leg recently. So (laughs) So she punches Tori near the bullet wound in her thigh and Tori's like, ow, that hurts. So she goes to reach for the gun, but then Tori grabs Triss by the legs and slams her down. And then they're punching each other, a full on fight. Very exciting. And then Tori's biting Triss's hand, really going for it. But Triss finally reaches with her other hand, the gun, and she aims it at Tori's face. And Tori says, I didn't take you for a traitor, Triss. And she says it, and it sounds like a snarl, not a sound any human can make. Okay, well, I didn't take you for a traitor. Like, how do you even do that? I didn't take you for a traitor, Triss. Like, really? I think she's still going to sound like a human. She's making words. And she says, I'm not a traitor. All I'm doing is asking for you to trust me, please. There's something important. Something only she knows the location of. And Janine's like, yeah, that's actually right. Um, it's on that computer, Beatrice, and only I can locate it. So if you don't help me survive this, it will die with me. 
And Tori's like, she's a fucking liatress. If you believe her, you are an idiot and a traitor. And Tris says, I do believe her. I believe her because it makes perfect sense, because it's logical. And Janine will never be illogical. The most sensitive information that exists, and it's hidden on that computer. And she's like, please, Tori, listen to me. This is important. And Tori says, nothing is more important than her death. And Tris says, well, I'm not going to help you kill her. And Tori says, I am a dauntless leader. You don't get to decide what I do. She's been a leader for all of three days. The power went to her head, it did. And then before Tris can even think about using that gun that she's holding, Tori's like, obviously I have a knife hidden in my boot. So she gets the knife out from the side of her boot, lunges and stabs Janine in the stomach. And so Janine releases a gurgling, screaming, dying sound. And Tori says, Jonathan Wu, which is her brother's name, presumably. And she stabs her again. And then Janine's eyes turn into glass. And that's the end of that chapter. Gotta say, didn't expect we'd kill Janine off so soon. I thought she'd be around for the next book at least. This book alone, we got rid of Eric, we got rid of Janine. All our villains are dying, even Nando's dead. And so we start chapter 46 and Tori stands up and turns towards Triss and Triss is like, rot roll. And she narrates all the risks I took to get here. Conspiring with Marcus, asking the Erudite for help, crawling across a ladder three stories up, shooting myself in a simulation, and all the sacrifices I made, my relationship with Tobias, Fernando's life, my standing among the Dauntless, were for nothing. Nothing. And I'm like, okay, that's all well and good, but I don't know if Fernando's life was a sacrifice that you made. But then the glass door opens and Tobias and Uriah storm in, and Uriah is coughing, probably from the poison in the simulation, she thinks. So they've also gone through the simulation room. And she thinks Janine is dead, Tori is triumphant, and I am a Dauntless traitor. And Tobias is like, oh, hi, Triss. And Tori says, she's a traitor. She almost shot me to defend Janine. And Uriah's like, ah, oh, Triss, what are you, do? really? Why are you even here, Triss? We thought you were staying back at the compound. And so she tries to angle in on Tobias and she says, you know why I'm here, don't you? And Tobias says, we found Marcus in the next room caught in a simulation. You came up here with him. And she's like, uh, yeah. Like, is that a problem? Like, like, whoopsie daisy. Yeah, I was hanging out with your dad whom you hate because he abused you for years and years and years. And he says, yeah, I trusted you. I trusted you and you abandoned me to work with him. I mean, he's got a point, doesn't he? And she goes, well, no, what happened was he told me something and everything my brother said, everything Janine said while I was in Erudite, it fit perfectly with what he told me. Oh, did it? It fit perfectly. And I wanted and I needed to know the truth. And Tobias says, you think you learned the truth from a liar, a traitor, and a sociopath? Well, when you put it like that, yeah. I mean, (laughs) Tobias has got a point. And Tori, she's like, what are you guys talking about, by the way? What's going on? And then she's looking at Tobias's eyes and she's like, "Uh uh-oh, I haven't convinced him. I have failed to convince him. And this is probably the last thing they'll let me say before they arrest me. So now she's going to turn on Tobias for not blindly believing her when she's been lying to him and actively working against him and his goals. But okay, now, she, now it's Tobias's fault. And she says, you're the liar, Tobias. You tell me you love me, you trust me. You think I'm more perceptive than the average person. And the first second that belief in my perceptiveness, that trust, that love is put to the test, it all falls apart. Okay, Gaslighty McGee, like, God, lay off, of course. He's gonna be upset, jeez. She says, you must have lied. You must have lied because I can't believe your love is really that feeble. 
And she says, I am still the person who would have died rather than kill you. I am exactly who you think I am. And right now I'm telling you that I know, I know this information will change everything. And he's just a stunned mullet. He doesn't know what to do. He's like, okay. I think she has manipulated him sufficiently. He's probably going to change his mind in like three seconds. But in the moment he's like, that's a lot to process, Tris. Thanks for that. And Tori, she's like, all right, enough. Take her downstairs. She'll be tried along with all the other war criminals. So Tobias doesn't move, but Uriah takes her and leads her through the lab, through the blue hallway. And then Therese of the factionless joins them. Who the fuck's Therese? And so Uriah's walking her downstairs. He slips her some gauze for her wounds, which makes her feel a little bit better. But she's like, yep, they're going to kill me. They're going to say that I am a traitor and I'm an adult and I made my choice. And of course I agree with them. I did make my choice. I chose my mother and father and what they fought for. Well, you chose what Marcus told you that they fought for. You might've been right, but you were naive. She says, walking down the stairs is easier than going up. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that always the way, Tris? And she says, we've reached the fifth level before I realize that we're going down to the lobby. What? Like, who cares? Okay, you're going to the lobby. Great. And Therese, who the fuck's Therese? She says, give me your gun, Uriah. Someone needs to be able to shoot potential belligerents and you can't do it if you're keeping her from falling down the stairs. And Uriah, who must be an idiot, he says, okay, good point. And he surrenders his gun to Therese. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And Tris is like, what? She says, I frown. Therese already has a gun. So why did it matter for him to give his? But then she says, but I don't ask. Uh, maybe you should ask, Tris. 
That's clearly outrageous behavior. Also, how much help do you really need getting down the stairs? So they get to the bottom floor and there's all these candor downstairs who are like crying. They're huddled in groups. They're all wounded. And Uriah says, we had to shoot a lot of them just to get into the building. We had to like whoopsie daisy. And Triss is like, been there, done that kid. Oh, you don't have to tell me. And she looks over, she sees Christina with her family. And then she also sees Peter and his hand is on the shoulder of a middle-aged woman. And so then she's like, what the fuck's he doing here? And Uriah says, little coward came in the aftermath after all the work was done. After all the work was, wasn't that, isn't that now? Wasn't this all just happening like just then? And Uriah says, I heard his dad's dead. Looks like his mother's okay though. Ah, poor Peter. And so she's looking at Peter and she says, in that second, I try to summon some pity for the person who saved my life. But while the hatred I once had for him is gone, I still feel nothing. (laughs) Fucking brutal. (laughs) Like, yeah, he's an asshole, but you're looking at him and he's just lost his dad and you're like, still feel nothing. (laughs) Oh, Tris, you make me laugh. Meanwhile, Therese, main character energy Therese, she's like, what's the hold up guys? Let's get to step and keep going. Come on. God, Therese is a bit bossy for someone we've never even heard of before, isn't she? So then she sees the Dauntless Traders and the Erudite huddled together. And so she sees Caleb up the back and she looks away. She's like, I don't have time for you, Caleb. I do not have time for this. I do not have time for you. So then Christina, she's now sitting with Kara, even though we just heard that she was over with her family. Apparently now she's with Kara and they call Tris over. And so Tris just walks over. I thought she was arrested. (laughs) Is she not a war criminal? Didn't we just say she's going to get tried like a war criminal? But no, so Tris walks over. She sits down with Christina and Kara for a nice little chat. And so I remember Christina got shot in the leg. So Tris is like, how's your leg, Christina? And she goes, fine. Kara said it will be fine. It's not bleeding too much. Like what? Kara's a 17 year old girl or something, isn't she? She's just signed up for Erudite. She's not a fully trained nurse or anything yet. Oh, Kara said it'll be fine. So I'm not that worried. And Christina says, well, where's Marcus? And she says, I don't know. We had to split up. He should be down here unless they killed him or something. And they're like, huh, whatever, who cares? So she says the room they're in is chaotic. And then Tobias walks in and he walks past Tris without even looking at her. And he goes up to Caleb. And he grabs Caleb and Caleb's like, what do you want? And he says, I want you to disarm the security system for Janine's laboratory so that the factionless can access her computer. Wow, big room full of war criminals and traitors. And yet Triss on the other side of the room can hear everything perfectly. <laughs> so then Tobias and Caleb disappear and she assumes that Caleb's going to help them destroy the computer. That's what they want to do. And then Christina says, Janine activated all the dauntless transmitters, you know, One of the factionless groups got ambushed by simulation controlled Dauntless. I guess the factionless won, though I don't know how you call shooting a bunch of brain dead people winning. Which is an odd thing to bring up, but it's certainly painting the picture that the factionless are certainly killing a lot of people. Seems a bit odd that the factionless overpowered simulation controlled Dauntless. Let's put a pin in that for a second. And so then she tells Christina about the simulation with the Miratrice and she goes, wow, so it was a simulation without a transmitter. And she's like, huh, that's weird. Yeah, didn't think about that. And Tris thinks if the lab recognizes people, maybe it also knows data about everyone and can present a corresponding simulated environment depending on your faction. Who gives a shit? But then Christina says, well, maybe the poison somehow contains a transmitter. And 
I'm thinking, what poison? We don't even know for sure if there was really poison or if that was just a mind game. And then Christina says, but how did Tori get past it? She's not divergent. Why would Janine come up with a booby trap that only divergent people could get through? Her one enemy in the whole entire world are the divergent. And she's, she's made this fail safe that only divergent people can get through. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you secure your precious lab with a simulation when you know that divergents can get through simulations? This is why you should use a padlock, a fingerprint scanner, eye scanners, voice activated passwords, anything that's not a simulation. She just had a hard on for simulations and it was her undoing in the end. Rest in peace, Janine. So Christina's like, Tori's not divergent. And she goes, I don't know. Maybe she is. Her brother was. (laughs) Okay. It's not genetic. You know that for a fact, it's not genetic. You're divergent and your brother's not. So why would there be a link, Tris? Oh, for someone who's apt for erudite, she's so dumb sometimes. So they're just waiting out in the room and then they hear a yell from Uriah. He's calling out for Lynn. And then two Dauntless carry Lynn in on a stretcher. And so Uriah pulls up an erudite woman who, who must be a medical professional because apparently all the erudite are medical professionals. And Uriah says, you're a doctor, right? And she says, yes, of course. You, you picked me. And Uriah says, okay, well then fix her. She's hurt. And so then the doctor, she looks at the wound and she's like, oh, and Uriah's like, fix her, fix her, do it, fix her. And she goes, on the contrary, because you set the hospital floors of this building on fire, I cannot fix her. They set the hospital building on fire? What? Well, the floors of the building? The floors of the current building? They just isolated one floor to set on fire? I hope that fire's been put out because, you know, fires burn throughout a whole building, whether or not you want to localize them to a certain floor. But why would they do that? Why would they come in and blow up a hospital of all things? That's so stupid. And the doctor, she's just like, love to help, but really can't because you burned all of the hospital equipment and, and such. And Uriah's like, shut up. I'm not the one who burned your hospital. She's my friend. Come on, help her. And then Lynn, she says, Yuri, shut up. It's too late. Okay, we're just calling Uriah Yuri now. That's a fun little nickname, I suppose. And Tris is like saying to the guards that are around her being like, she's my friend too. Can I please go over there and be with her? And they're like, yeah, sure. We don't care. You're a war criminal. Go, go, fill your boots. Okay, so then they're holding Lynn's hand. And Lynn says, Yuri listen, I loved her too. And he says, you loved who? And she says, Marlene. And he says, yeah, we all loved Marlene. And she says, no, that's not what I mean. And then she shakes her head. She closes her eyes and then she dies. What the fuck? What just happened there? I think Lynn's a lesbian. I think she was just coming out on her deathbed slash death stretcher. And she was coming out as a lesbian that she loved Marlene. I don't know how I feel about that. Like if we had a lesbian character, great. Would have been nice to know that before they died. Also don't kill them. What do we gain from, from this outing at the end here? I don't understand. So then she dies. And then Tris says to Uriah, Yuri, he says, you should tell Shauna and Hector. And he's like, yeah, okay. I don't know if she means go tell them that she died or that Lynn was a secret lesbian. I don't know. And so then after she's dead, Tris goes back to Christina and that's the end of that chapter. So I guess they're still just waiting out in that room and she's just thinking about Lynn. And then Tori and Harrison, they enter the room. They're the Dauntless leaders along with Tobias. And then they come in and there's also a Dauntless guard with Janine's body slung over his shoulder. And he heaves it on the table in front of the Erudite and Dauntless traders. 
And everyone's like, oh, geez, that's a bit full on. And so then Triss is staring at her body, which she says seems so much smaller in death than it did in life. And she says, she looks calm now, almost peaceful. I have trouble connecting this body with the woman I knew, the woman without a conscience. Yeah, she's dead. Of course she's going to look calm and peaceful. She's dead. And then Joanna, the Amity leader, she comes in and she comes up to Harrison and Tori and she's like, what do you guys want? She's like, you know, I'm not the leader. Amity don't have a leader, but here I am. I stepped down in order to come here. And Tori's like, yeah, we know. You guys kept getting in everyone's way. And Joanna's like, yeah, that was the point. Since getting in the way meant standing between guns and innocence and saved a great number of lives. I don't know why we're having this interaction, but Triss is watching and she says, color fills Joanna's cheeks. And I think again, that Joanna might still have been beautiful. God, she's just got a scar on her face. Let the poor bitch be. Let her be. And Tori says, well, since you are still so very generous, I wonder if you might carry a message back to the Amity. Joanna says, I'm not leaving you and your army to dole out justice as you see fit, but I will send someone else to Amity with a message. And Tori's like, whatever, just tell them that a new political system will soon be formed that will exclude them from representation. This, we believe, is their just punishment for failing to choose a side in this conflict. Oh yeah, that'll work out well. They will of course be obligated to continue to produce and deliver food to the city, but they will be under supervision by one of the leading factions. Tori, you've got a set of stones on you, don't you? You've got a set of stones on you? Maybe stick to doing tattoos rather than diplomacy because man, you've got some stones. We're going to set up a new government, but you're not involved, but you will still feed us. Like, okay, yeah, sure. That'll work out great. See no problems with that. And Joanna's like, yeah, sure, I'll pass it on. In the meantime, can we um, do something useful and get some people in here to tend to these wounded? Even though the Amity are not the medical professionals, that would be the erotype. But anyway, the Amity want to like come in and help the war criminals. And Tori just gives her a look and she's like, oh, okay, I didn't think so. And Joanna says, do remember though, that sometimes the people you oppress become mightier than you would like. And Tori is shaken in her boots. <laughs> Tori does not feel any fear about the Amity rising up and (laughs) becoming mighty. She is not threatened at all. So then Joanna walks off. But again, because Triss has brilliant hearing and she can hear everything that's going on in this room full of people and dead bodies. She says something about her words hits me. I'm sure she meant them as a threat, but it rings in my head like it was something more. Like she could easily have been talking not about the Amity, but about another oppressed group the factionless. And then she looks around the room at every dauntless soldier and every factionless soldier. And she begins to see a pattern. And she says, Christina, the factionless have all the guns. And then they look around and they're like, oh yeah, no, no dauntless guards have any guns. All the factionless have guns. I'm sorry, what? And she calls back to when Therese asked for Uriah's gun. And she's like, "Uh uh-oh, red flag. How are all these dauntless people giving away their guns? I'm not sure. Then Evelyn, she comes into the room, but Tobias isn't with her. And she's like, where's Tobias? And so Evelyn says to everyone, thank you. I know you are all wondering what will happen next. So I'm here to tell you. And Tori's like leaning forward being like, wait, what's going on? And Evelyn says, the faction system that has long supported itself on the backs of discarded human beings will be disbanded at once. Okay, great. <laughs> That's what I say. Great. But Tori, she's like, whoa, hold up. She says, what are you talking about disbanded? 
And Evelyn, she claps back and she says, well, what I'm talking about, Tory, is that your faction, which up until a few weeks ago was clamoring along with the erudite for the restriction of food and goods to the factionless, a clamor that resulted in the destruction of the abnegation, will no longer exist. And if you decide to take up arms against us, you'll be hard pressed to find any arms to take up. And all the dauntless dummies in the room, they're like, oh, where'd my gun go? What? I didn't realize I wasn't holding a gun. But also like Evelyn. So you tricked everyone into handing their guns over. A lot of the Dauntless have knives in their boots, as we've seen with Tori. Like, I'm pretty sure if they wanted to fight you, they could. But Triss watches as each factionless soldier holds up a gun. And she realizes that the factionless are evenly spaced around the edge of the room. And they have them all surrounded. She says, it is so elegant, so clever that I almost laugh. Yeah, it's hilarious. (laughs) <laughs> a factionless coup. Oh God, hilarious. I almost laugh. And because this is the Divergent series, every villain has to make a villain speech. So Evelyn explains herself even more. She says, I instructed my half of the army to relieve your half of the army of their weapons as soon as their missions were completed. I see now that they were successful. There is no way that all of the Dauntless just gave up their guns. That's just so stupid. She says, I regret the duplicity but we knew that you have been conditioned to cling to the faction system like it is your own mother and that we would have to help ease you into this new era. I don't think that's a great analogy to use, cling to the faction system like it's your own mother, considering they frequently abandon their parents to change factions. There's not a lot of clinging to mothers going on in this society, so I don't know about that one, Evelyn. And so Tori, (laughs) she gets up and she limps towards Evelyn And Evelyn just points a gun at Tori and says, I have not been starving for more than a decade just to give in to a dauntless woman with a leg injury. (laughs) What a burn. (laughs) What a burn. She says, so unless you want me to shoot you, take a seat. And Tori, who was all bluster five minutes ago, she's like, okay. And so she just limps back and sits down. So Evelyn's talking about how those who helped the factionless will be rewarded. Those who didn't will be punished. But then behind them, the stairwell door opens up and Tobias, Marcus and Caleb come in almost unnoticed, even though she's noticed. And Tobias comes up to Triss and he says, you were right. I do know who you are. I just needed to be reminded. So her little manipulation worked. And then all the screens in the erudite lobby, they turn on. And Evelyn stops speaking and she's like, wow, what's going on? And Tobias says to Triss, this is the information that will change everything. He said that he forced Caleb to cooperate and they've got the video file. And so the video is of a woman with short brown hair. And she says, hello, my name is Amanda Ritter. In this file, file, why is she referring to it as a file? In this file, I will tell you only what you need to know. I am the leader of an organization fighting for justice and peace. This fight has become increasingly more important and consequently nearly impossible in the past few decades. That is because of this. And then she says, images flash across the wall, almost too fast for me to see. A man on his knees with a gun pressed to his forehead, the woman pointing it at him, her face emotionless. Someone hanging by the neck from a telephone pole, a hole in the ground filled with bodies. She says, there's lots of other images, but they move faster. So I only get impressions of blood and bone and death and cruelty, empty faces, soulless eyes, terrified eyes. So it's just hilarious that it's a convenient slideshow for storytelling purposes. (laughs) Like what? Did they pull all this image together just for this little video file that will never be seen? What's the purpose of this slideshow? Then the woman says, you do not remember any of that. 
But if you are thinking these are the actions of a terrorist group or a tyrannical government regime, you are only partially correct. Half of the people in those pictures committing those terrible acts were your neighbours, your relatives, your co-workers. The battle we are fighting is not against a particular group, it is against human nature itself. And she's thinking, oh, this is what Janine was willing to enslave minds and murder people for, to keep us all from knowing, to keep us all ignorant and safe inside the fence. And so she's starting to catch up. And this Amanda woman, she says, that is why you're so important. Our struggle against violence and cruelty is only treating the symptoms of disease, not curing it. You are the cure. In order to keep you safe, we devised a way for you to be separated from us, from our water supply, from our technology, from our societal structure. We have formed your society in a particular way in the hope that you will rediscover the moral sense most of us have lost. Over time, we hope that you will begin to change as most of us cannot. What a bullshit reason. We all suspected this was sort of a shenanigan set up to test people, but like what, what bullshit? She says, the reason I am leaving this footage for you is so that you will know when it's time to help us. You will know that it is time when there are many among you whose minds appear to be more flexible than others. (laughs) I can't even read it. The name you should give these people is Diversion. Oh, so she's telling them the name. (laughs) She says, once they become abundant among you, your leaders should give the command for Amity to unlock the gate forever so that you may emerge from your isolation. Would we say they're abundant currently? I don't think they're abundant. I mean, it seems like they're abundant, but there's really only a handful. Amanda says the information in this video is to be restricted to those in government only. You are to be a clean slate, but do not forget us. (laughs) She says, I am about to join your number. Like the rest of you, I will voluntarily forget my name, my family, and my home. I will take on a new identity with false memories and a false history. But so that you know the information I have provided you with is accurate, I will tell you the name I am about to take as my own. I don't know how that proves anything really. But she says, my name will be Edith Pryor and there is much I am happy to forget. And so then the video stops. She clutches Tobias's hand, and there is a moment of silence like a withheld breath, and then the shouting begins. And that's the end of the book. What? What? I know it's meant to be like, oh my God, twist ending. No one ever saw this coming. Like, I think we all sort of saw it coming, but I don't understand the purpose. So there's war, there's mayhem going on. And they said, you know what? Let's isolate a whole city. We'll put people in there with fake false memories, which does sort of explain a lot because the way they've been acting with the whole factionless history of it all made it seem like it's been going on for a longer time than it probably has been since Triss's second generation. But still, they thought we'll just put all these people in there and then they will come up with a flexible mind eventually. What, what purpose can a flexible mind serve? Like, how are the divergents going to leave the fence and then, and then fix the world that has been in continued mayhem and chaos for a while, at least 20 years, right? What the fuck? And who's Edith? Who's Edith? Is that like her grandma? It was like, we're all meant to be like, oh my God, Edith Pryor, what a twist. I don't know who Edith Pryor is. That's not her mum's name, is it? No, I don't think it's her mum's name. I don't know who the fuck Edith Pryor is. Maybe it has been decades and decades and decades. (sighs) And now the Divergent are finally here and it's time to go back into the world. What, what, why has the rest of the world been ignoring this social experiment? What's going on? What a ridiculous ending. Do you guys like it? Let me know what you think. 
I'll be with you guys next week for the movie. Let's see how that goes. I wonder if it'll change a lot. I hope it changes a lot. I'm, I'm still processing that big reveal. So I'm going to go sit and think about that for a while. And I'll see you guys next week for the movie. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.